Friends, good morning. It is so good to, to see so many of you here. Uh, welcome to uh, Rack Evangelical. If, just, if you've just arrived in the last uh, few minutes, my name uh, is Douglas and I'm one of the pastors here. And it is my great pleasure to be continuing through the book of Joshua. Uh, We haven't been here since November, so it is really uh, good to be looking at chapters uh, 3 and 4 and the first verse of chapter 5 together. And you would be really well served to have a Bible open in front of you. If you do need a Bible this morning, we have uh, many on the back table, the red table at the back. Please uh, do grab one of those if you need it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, then please take that away with you uh, as our gift to you. We love and trust the Word of God here, and so I do encourage you uh, to have one, grab one, read it, study it. God has given us His Word, the Bible, as how He speaks to us. It is for our benefit and for our good. Now, I don't know if many of you have been on long journeys, but we used to do a lot of them when I was growing up uh, as a child. We Uh, We lived in England, close to London, but I'm from Scotland, and so my grandparents were about 400 to 500 miles away, uh, up north. Uh, We were really, really close with our family, uh, but in order to see them, we had to endure many hours in a car. My parents used to get up in the the middle of the night, we would set off, and within minutes, uh, we would be back into a sort of somewhat uncomfortable sleep for at least the first part of that journey. Uh, The drive was typically eight hours uh, if my mom was driving, and about seven if it was my dad. uh, And we, for the last few hours, you could just regularly hear one of us saying over and over again, either under our breath or at the top of our voice, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, as we get to chapters 3 and 4 in Joshua today, the Israelites, the people of God, they have been on a long journey. If you've ever read the Old Testament, ever read it, you will know that this is a massive understatement. As until now, they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Back in November, we started uh, looking at chapters 1 and 2. Uh, We know that Joshua has taken over from Moses as God's appointed leader, and uh, he reminds them of God's promises of faithfulness, that he is going to provide a land for them. God is with them, and they prepare to cross the Jordan, to walk into the land that God God has prepared for them. Joshua uh, decides to send some spies in chapter 2 to see what is happening across the river in Jericho, and they meet Rahab. Uh, who we saw hides them, uh, saving their lives. And then we learn at the end uh, that the people in those lands have heard of the Israelites and Yahweh, their God, and will surely melt away in fear before them. It is here, it's at this point, three days after chapter 1, that we come to our verses today in chapters 3 and 4. There can be no doubt that many in the crowd, just like I was uh, when I got close to Scotland, and would now they're beginning to say with glee and excitement, I can see it. I can see it. We're nearly there. As we begin to look at chapters 3 and 4 together, there is, a, I think, a main point from these verses for us. 
I think the main point of our time together today is God guides and protects his people. Therefore, trust his word and live in obedience. God guides and protects his people. Therefore, trust his word and live in obedience. So we're really going to be walking through, I think, these, these two cinematic uh, chapters. And I think the text really divides into two sections. It's a little bit uh, fuzzy, but we're going to be looking at two points together. The first of those, really, chapter 3, God is faithful. Chapter 3, God is faithful. And in, then in chapter 4, and the first verse of chapter 5, never forget. Never forget. So as we begin in chapter 3, if you look there with me, you'll see a huge group of people, travel, uh, thousands of them. And they travel 12 miles to the Jordan River. We'll be reminded of this in our text many, many times this morning. But we see that verse 1 says, all the people. All the people. This is to be every man and woman and child. Friends, this is not the Titanic we're talking about. It's not every man for themselves or just take whatever we can. It is everybody. The older generation of the Israelites have died away. All those over 20 years old in Egypt have passed. And so has Moses. And so the time has come. People were tired. And this is a huge effort for them. And so we see straight away that when they reach that point, they lodge next to the river. And from the outset of this narrative, this crucial part of Israel's history, and that really the transition from the wilderness uh, to the promised land, we see that God is in control. He is faithful. He is the one that is preparing the way, and it's he that is leading his people. And I think many of us, many of you, need reminding of this this morning. God is with you. God is in control. He has made a way and he is leading you and guiding your steps. In your singleness, with your boss, as you parent, in your depression, as you mourn, or as you rejoice. Friends, I don't know your situation, but God does and he is faithful. Verses 3 and 4, if you look back at the text, I think they're really interesting for us. We see that the officers, the men leading the tribe, they knew what they were doing. They were prepared. They pass through the camp and they give this this three-day warning about getting ready to go. And then they deliver crucial information. It says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant. Here we see the, the first mention in Joshua of the Ark of the Covenant. The amazing symbol of God's presence with his people. This is God's throne, a wooden box, two feet by three feet by one feet. And I think it's really probably about the size of this pulpit if you were to lay it down on the ground. And it contains this large box, the Ten Commandments. It contains Aaron's rod and also a jar of manna. All three just beautiful symbols of Israel's relationship with God. By his side uh, was where God graciously spoke to Moses and where he would meet with his representative. Its special lid sitting on top 
the mercy seat adorned by two cherubim all wrapped in gold. This was symbolic of God's presence with his people. Yes, but of course not containing or limiting God in some way, but also not a box to be tampered with or or messed with. This was a symbol of God's throne and, and led the way for the Israelites. You see, the Lord is the one that will lead his people. It's he in his holiness and in his mercy that will show his people the way. And he is the one who's going to make it clear for them. And you see in the text that it says they were to keep 2,000 yards. I think there are a couple of uh, things going on here. This is the this for us just helpfully is the same distance from the shops opposite church all the way down to the roundabout. That's about 2,000 yards. That was the distance they're meant to keep from the ark. Firstly, I think that's really uh, because the people were forming a line. They were gathering behind the ark, so they needed to see where the ark is going. But also, secondly, I think it's because they are to have a healthy respect for God and what his presence means among them. He is holy and we are not. He is God and we are not. We are called to devotion and obedience, but we are not called, friends, to see ourselves as God. He, he beckons us. He calls us to follow him, to trust him. This was the case for the Israelites, and it's the case for us here this morning. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. The king, I tell you. Friends, I think... C.S. Lewis knew and understands in the Narnia series that God is God. But God is good. He is holy and mighty and powerful. In a way that I think really we cannot ever fully comprehend, but we must respect As we continue in the text, I think we see more and more references to Moses and the Red Sea coming up during this story. I think we see Joshua fully established and exalted as God's chosen leader of his people. And I think the the first of these we see in Joshua's call for consecration. This means to, to make something holy, to prepare something for a religious purpose. At Sinai, and I think the same here in our text, it meant a washing of their bodies and their clothes and even an abstinence from sex. It was to prepare themselves, to ritually ritually prepare their lives in devotion to God. But what about today? I think Romans 12 reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but 
be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And friends, let us not forget that you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friends, as God's people today, we know his presence and we strive to comprehend his holiness. I do think this means that we are called to live lives that are daily in devotion to him, consecrated to him. I don't think you need to be ritually washing your body or your clothes, although do please wash regularly, just out of just general politeness. But we are to guard our lives We are to guard our minds. We are to guard our doctrine. We are to be careful with what we do and what we read and what we watch and the words that we say to ourselves or to our children or to others. It's in these ways that we either kindle or kill idolatry in our own hearts. Consider how you have or have not done that this week. Friends, the Lord has done wonders among us. The Lord has demonstrated his faithfulness through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And our lives should reflect our devotion to him. Does your life reflect this? So we see Joshua is leading his people. He is telling the priest to take the ark uh, to the front for he knows that it's God that the people must follow. The presence of God then in in verse 7 is shown to, to be with Joshua in an intimate way. It says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God is demonstrating his faithfulness to his people and keeping his promises to them throughout this episode. But he's also very much showing that Joshua is his chosen leader and his chosen servant. It's through Joshua that the Lord speaks. We must not miss the Lord speaking through this narrative. It is he that is guiding and protecting his people. It's he that is keeping his word and it is he that is faithful. And we see God speaks to Joshua in verses 7 and 8. Look there with me. He's setting out a plan, making it clear what he is doing and what Joshua must command the people to do. The priests are going to carry the ark and will stop at the river Jordan. Joshua then gathers the priests and repeats God's message, making two things clear. Firstly, it's God's message. And secondly, that it's God that must get the glory. Friends, this is what you should expect here every week from whoever is doing what I'm doing right now. Part of your duty as the congregation here is to hold your leaders to an account. That they are faithfully speaking God's word from his word, the Bible, And that they are doing this for God's glory. This is what we see Joshua doing. The text is really careful throughout these chapters to show that Joshua is repeating to the people of God simply what God has said. They can see what God has said and then after the event they'll be able to look back and see that God fully keeps his promises. So verses 9 to 13 We then read what Joshua says to the people. 
the living God is among you. And he will, quote, without fail, drive out these nations from before you. Then we see all those, those tribes listed. And straight after this, in verse 11, I think we see something really crucial. It says, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Joshua reminds the people, and I think us today, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord mentioned, is Lord of all the earth. No matter where you're from, no matter where you live, either now or in the future, no matter who is on the throne of the country where you are, our God is the Lord of that place. He is Lord of all the earth. He is Lord over the Queen of England. He is Lord over the President of the United States. He is Lord even over the Sheikh of Ras al Khaimah. Our God is King. He is the Lord over all things, and He is in total control. What a comfort this is to be for us. What a great reminder for the Israelites. There must have been some that were nervous. They were there in the wilderness and they would have seen and heard whispers of us sending spies to Jericho or they've been seeing these towering men, these armed soldiers just walking through the camp preparing for what they were doing. These were just ordinary men and women and children like me and like you, like all of us here, just trusting God day by day. They had the same worries, the same concerns for safety or provision for their families, for their friends, for their neighbors. But Joshua is reminding them, the Lord of all the earth is going ahead of you. All of this is happening before they've even set off. And in verse 13, we see this promise laid out. It says, when the soles of the feet of the priests hit the water, the Jordan is going to stand up in one heap. A heap. What a strange word and what a strange sight. A heap of water. Friends, this is the exact same word used in Exodus 15 with the Red Sea. We have to see the links. I want you to see the significance of all that God is doing and saying here that once again, only by his hand will the Israelites, God's people, be delivered and brought to safety. We see the phrase again repeated, the Lord of all the earth. And an explanation given for what God will do there. We we today have a, a different perspective to the original people. Reading this, we can see that Joshua is again repeating what God has said. We, we can see the script and we can also see the different camera angles of the two chapters again and again. How they, they pause, they, they slow down and then they zoom in on what God is doing. This whole story this morning is a, a supernatural act of, of God that should leave no doubt in our minds or in theirs that God keeps his promises, he is mighty to save, and we can trust his word. So then in verse 14, we see the people set off, and they're just going as commanded. They head for the river. Verse 15 tells us, and history and geography show us that this is even done at a miraculous time of year. 
This is when the, the Jordan swells and, and uh, the surrounding areas are completely flooded. Again, what God is doing is completely miraculous. There is no other way to explain what God is doing. The skeptics are just silenced at every point through the story. It'd be so easy to, to say that there was probably a ford or there were little kind of stepping stones that they would slip and slide across. But no, the text even gives us this awkward information. This is an area that was flooded. But God, but God, he has made a way. So we see we've got the priests working hard. They're trying to carry the ark while also being careful not to kind of touch it or desecrate it in some way. And then they get to the water's edge. And I think you can imagine just the first two guys looking across at each other. As they pause for a second, the whole nation behind them. They're not hesitant, but I think they must have felt the weight of the significance of this moment about what they were about to do. These men have grown up hearing the stories of the Red Sea and they saw what it sounded like, how the the water moved and what God did and they were about to witness this all again. God is bringing his people through the waters as he delivers them safely into all that he has promised them. And we see their feet go down. And we read, as soon as the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Whoosh. The waters retreat in an unnatural direction up 18 miles away to the city of Adam. Tons and tons and tons of water move and are stopped in an instant. There was not a landslide. There was not some sort of crazy diversion. God promised that the waters would stop and they stopped. Chapter 3 just simply ends with all the people passing over the Jordan and the whole nation going past the Ark of the Covenant. Every time, I don't know if this is the same for you, every time we return from the beach, my car is just full of sand. And for days and days, we're finding random rocks and shells, bits from the beach in my kids' pockets and My kids just love to play and find what they can. Now I imagine there was not a shell or pebble left on the riverbed that morning. As the children and the families walked in wonder across the river, past the ark, past the priests, everyone feeling the weight, the significance of this strange but perfect riverbed ceremony. With the priests standing by and the people passing by, savoring and taking in all that they could, putting perhaps a shell or a pebble or just a handful of sand in their pocket to try and remember this moment. This right here, friends, is the climax and the very center of this text. Yes, the the people were in a very practical sense across the river and safe. But more importantly and crucially, God was faithful. God had kept his word. God was in control. And again, they knew that God is worthy of worship. 
chapter 4 then just begins with, I think, a simple, are we there yet? Yes, it is finished. What I love about this, this text this morning, although slightly confusing at times if you're reading through, is all that is going on and how we see just the camera angle jump back and forth up across this continuous timeline of the day, of just this incredible day, just reviewing again, remembering, considering we're getting more and more information through every verse. So we've just seen this incredible shot of the waters retreating and the people crossing and now we see God speaking to Joshua calling him to set up a memorial and we'll read how the people crossed the river and uh, what why all of this happened for these two chapters we get to just sit and stop and dwell on this amazing miracle repeatedly looking at what God has done from these different angles we see God uses miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament for his glory. He uses them to point people to him and to demonstrate his might over every other power or God. And also just to show his mercy to his people. As we continue in chapter 4 and through to the first verse of chapter 5, we have our second point. Never forget. Never forget. We see Joshua then gathers 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel. God carefully speaks and asks for these men to be commanded to each collect a large stone from the riverbed. This happens in verses 2 to 5, but if you look on to verse 9, I think Joshua is actually the one who chooses the stones and has them set up ready and waiting where the priests are standing. The text tells us that he has them set up Already, I think slight side note, when the text says, and they are there to this day, I think that the author is is speaking of the moment when he was writing. So at that moment that he was writing the book of Joshua, they were still there. So we see God speaking to Joshua and asking for one man from each tribe of Israel, of which there are 12, to come and collect a stone from the middle of the river where the priests are standing. And they have stood all day. And they're going to set up a memorial with these stones. I think there are just a couple of things going on here. It's significant, of course, that there's a man from each of the 12 tribes. This crossing and this moment, as we've seen, is for all of Israel. It is for all of God's people. Also, the the words we read are important. The significance of this moment and what the men are doing, I think it's seen in the word appointed. Nothing of what God is doing, either here or in our lives today, is accidental or by chance. It's all within, within his ordering. All of our lives happen within, within his appointment. For these men, there is a, the purpose of what, he, what they are doing, and we'll, we'll come back to that. These men, and therefore the whole people of God, the whole nation are being firmly established by God in this this new place. There's the whole nation, not just a few or some, but the unity of the people of God is important to God. Again, we see throughout, we have God's word going forward, Joshua declaring it to the people, and then what God says being fulfilled. Repeatedly, we see God's faithfulness, and then Joshua's obedient leadership. 
God says the waters will stop with the feet that carry the ark. The water stops with the touching of the feet that carry the ark. God says the people will cross over the Jordan as the ark has passed over. And the people cross the Jordan as the ark has passed over. God asks for 12 men to collect stones and set up a memorial. And we see 12 men collect stones and set up a memorial. So scan ahead and you'll, you'll see what happens as God, see that all of this happens, sorry, as God says. The men collect their stones. They're told to take these heavy stones on their, their shoulders, so they're certainly large stones, and we see them set them down where they were camping for the night. But why is this happening? This is where we see the first section on remembering and not forgetting all that God has done. Chapter 4 really kind of draws our attention to us, uh, to this, and it's set up a bit like a sandwich. We have the the remembering uh, at either side, and then we have the crossing again uh, repeated and reinforced in the middle. So these questions that we would have had about the stones, we see they're answered in verses 6 and 7, and then also from 19 to the end. Here we look at the the crossing and reflect on it. This is to be a, a testimony. This was to be a memorial. They're not creating some sort of site of worship or an altar, but simply a pile of stones as a way of remembering. And the people of God will do this six more times. In Scotland, and I know in other places, you often find these kind of things at the top of mountains where people lay a stone from the top in a pile and they say, I was here. Look at what I have done. But significantly different for this pile was we were here. Look at what God has done. This is to, we read, verse 6 says, a sign among you. Joshua tells them, your children, they're going to come to you and they're going to ask, what do these stones mean to you? Not just what do they mean, but what do they mean to you? The Hebrew literally says, what are these stones to you? This is to each person, personally. They each need to be able to be ready to remember all that the Lord has done when the ark passed before them and the waters were stopped, when God, in His grace and His mercy, delivered His people again. How He was with them, how He kept His promises. Now I'm a dad, and I know what it's like to have kids ask great questions. You spend any time with any children, and they will ask questions of why and how and what and who, about your life, about Jesus, about the gospel. Friends, we need to take seriously the responsibility we have to understand and explain all that God has done in our lives, especially through the gospel. Honestly, I think our children's ministry here at church is incredibly significant. It's an important and crucial part of what we do as a church. It's not just babysitting or not just getting through the service. It's a key time in our week for our children to stop and look, to hear and read about all the Lord has done. We need people to do that. We need volunteers and we're so grateful for those that have been willing to help us with this important task. And parents, it is our hope 
that this is also not the only time in the week that this happens. This is something I want to encourage you to try and do regularly with your children. I, I have to admit, Laura, my wife, is better at this than I am. She often remembers and I often forget. My children are primarily my responsibility, but also as a church, we have committed to be praying for and helping to train our children as we regularly remind them and tell them of all that the Lord has done. We need to take the training of our children seriously. Now we, we don't here have, have stones set up, but we do read in 1 Peter 2, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal Uh, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We too, as as you look around now or later, are a people, a living reminder of what God has done. God uses this gathering here to remind us of that. In His grace and in His mercy, He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that each one of us deserves because of our sin and our rebellion there was friends for every person a great divide between us and God and he is the only one that could bring us through he does this through his son Jesus Jesus death and a resurrection on the cross beating sin and death reconciling many sinners to God It's only by the grace of God that any sinner is saved. It's not, friends, because of anything that you have done. The same as the people of God on that day. God was with them and he made a way. We must realize that left on their own, the people of God, the Israelites, would still be standing at the river now waiting for the waters to part on their own, in their own strength. But God, but God made a way. And he, had friends, has done the same for you. This is what we must never forget. This is what we are to say when people ask us what the cross means for you. How will you answer that question? Friends, if you have trusted in Christ, then you have a beautiful testimony and we should each one of us recall as we look back and remember all that the Lord has done how I was an enemy of God separated from him because of my sin do not discount that do not throw that back in the face of God but praise his holy name for what he has done his wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ and not on you praise God Perhaps you're, you're here this morning and you don't know God. Perhaps you feel like you're on a journey through this life and you just keep striving and working hard and desperately asking, are we there yet? Well, you have arrived here this morning tired, worried, afraid, depressed. Friend, let me tell you that without God, this life that you are pursuing will only end in disappointment and destruction. Our satisfaction and our worship is only to be found in God. Despite you being 
far from him across this great divide. He has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. Ask him for this gift of faith. Cry out to him. And it's our prayer that you will trust in him. Please speak to the person you came with or grab me at the door afterwards if you'd like to talk more about this. But I urge you, there is no other way than through trusting in Christ. Your life in your own strength will end in death and destruction. So friends, we here need to be remembering, and this was the same in chapter 4. They had been given a sign, something that we also do here. We did it two, we'll do it in two weeks from now when we see baptisms. We'll also remember, remember together last week when we celebrated the Lord's Supper. As signs, these are means of God's grace to us and opportunities in the regular life of our church here to stop and consider all that God has done among us. Do not downplay or or minimize their significance for us here as a united church family in our obedience to christ we're baptized and we do this before our church family and before the world we then also together take this family meal as a means of god's grace and as a way to remember all that the lord has done on the cross Be here with us. Prioritize this local fellowship and know that these are to be done as a family. So we've seen how we are called to remember and how the Israelites were called to remember all that the Lord has done with the help of this memorial. And then again in the the middle of chapter 4 from verses 10 to 18, if you look there, we again review and remember with more detail the crossing of the Jordan. We see in Verse 10, that the priests waited in the river. It says, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. The people, it says, passed over quickly with haste. And I think they were just truly excited to reach the promised land. They were there. They had arrived. And we see the priests pick up the ark and they finally reach the other side. This amazing story of what the Lord has done was concluding. His faithfulness was sure. Now, the, in the middle there, we see the military aspect of what we're doing is not uh, forgotten in verses 12 to 13. We see uh, the men mentioned confirming what we read in Numbers 32 and the promises of Moses to these tribes. Thousands and thousands of people crossed the Jordan that day, but they were all gearing up for war on the other side. We'll come to that in the next few months as we continue in Joshua, but we must see that they were ready for battle. Joshua is secured that day by God in the Israelite mind as the exalted one. The language of this chapter, as we see again and again, shows that Joshua faithfully repeated And acted as God had said. He was a man who heard the Lord's voice and followed the Lord's command. It was for these reasons that the people stood in awe of him. He was trustworthy as he was a man of God's word and God's chosen man. And in verses 15 to 18, we see the completion of the crossing. The priest just exit the river and quickly as they retreated the waters return 
can only imagine the sound of this heap of water 18 miles away breaking and then the waters thundering down the valley. I imagine the people were incredibly tired from this day and had been grouped around the river and surrounding area watching what was happening, passing food and kind of sorting themselves out. Rumbles passing through the crowd about what was happening with the stones and these men and they went out, how they'd gone out into the river to arrange them. And then the ark begins to move again. All the people have crossed and the priests are coming out. And then all of a sudden, round the bend, the water was back. A long trip lay ahead of the people. But this momentous day was drawing to a close. Their path was secure and there was... Also now, no turning back. A good question to ask yourself when you read the Bible is why? Why is that there? And that's the same with this date that we see given in verse 19. It says that people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. I think this is really significant in closing an important chapter in Israelite history. In this moment, we see the beautiful bookends of the Passover, Passover. This was the day, the 10th day of the first month, when they were meant to begin preparing for the Passover meal. Forty years before in Egypt, we see the Passover celebration and then the exodus. But here at the Jordan, we see the second exodus and then the celebration of the Passover the Lord has delivered, and the people will celebrate and remember. In verses 20 to 22, we look again at the memorial, but in 23 and 24, we see this tie to the Exodus and the Red Sea confirmed. Something that we've thought all along is confirmed. These two events are linked. God has made a way for his people. He has kept his promises. And again, why? Well, I think verse 24 is clear. God has done all of this so that all the peoples of the earth would know that he is mighty and that his people will fear the Lord forever. And fear here just means respect and devotion and worship. It's an understanding that God is holy and he is mighty, and he is the only one that deserves all the honor and the glory. Not Joshua, not you, not me, but God. As the Israelites arrive in Canaan, we see in chapter 5, verse 1, that they receive this rest that they had so longed for and been promised. They're not met with armies or enemies because again, as promised, the kings and the people of those lands had heard about who God was and what he has done. And their hearts melted away. They had arrived, for now it was finished. There is nothing, friends, and no one more powerful than God. There is nothing or no one that he cannot overcome. He is the Lord of all. 
Christian, know that God is faithful. His word is true. He keeps his promises. He guards and he guides his people. Come to him, all who are heavy burdened and weighed down in this world. In him alone will you find your rest. He will not let your soul be lost. His promises shall last. You were bought by him at such a cost. He will hold you fast.